John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, it's our Halloween edition! Except I done goofed, and I'll explain why we don't have a spooptacular this year. But we do have a discussion. But before we get to that, we have to talk about Jigsaw, the latest entry in the Saw franchise, as well as Suburbicon, the latest from the Coen brothers and George Clooney, and thank you for your service from the writer of American Sniper in his directorial debut. Let's get started. It's Jigsaw. It's not creepy at all. Here's a game I want to play. Show people the jigsaw puppet on his tricycle, and will they laugh or scream? Because I guarantee you, outside of this movie series, they would probably laugh their asses off, because that's hilarious. A stupid-looking puppet with targets on its face, talking in overdubbed voices, and a stupid little, like, kid toy cackle. (laughs) Yeah, that's so super-duper scary, you guys. Especially when he rides in on a tricycle that that needs oiling. I'm super-duper scary, you guys. (laughs) Give me a freaking break. I've never liked the Saw series for that reason. It is so stupid. I cannot take it seriously. Like, I don't even know if it wants me to take it seriously, but it's so stupid I can't enjoy myself because I can't, you know, even if they don't want to take want me to take them seriously, it's not well produced. It's not well thought out or written. I mean... What do you want me to say about this um, new entry? It's the same as the last ones. You've got cops trying to figure out if the jigsaw killer is really back and it's juxtaposed against people in stupid convoluted traps that could easily be broken down through entropy. Like, like there are so many ways for these things to break down. It's, I mean, even the Riddler and the Joker could not come up with I, with traps this convoluted. They would be laughing at them because it's so ridiculously overthought, overthought out and tested. It's these are Rube Goldberg devices with murder. Like if Rube Goldberg designed murder devices, this is what he'd come up with. And it's so ridiculous at this point that I, I'm surprised anybody can take doesn't consider this a comedy. This is a this is a farce of of horror movies more than anything else, and that's the that's the thing though. I know a lot of horror fans have a re- really twisted sense of humor about them too, and nothing you know not, nothing against that. I mean, you know, your sense of humor is your sense of humor. What makes you laugh is what makes you laugh. But if I wanted to watch a comedy, I would watch a comedy. You know, I would go. I would seek out people who are genuinely funny. Like, I don't go to things like this or Happy Death Day or, you know, any of, like, the Freddy series. That's not where I get my jokes from. That's not where I get my laughs from. I would much rather watch 
something like Game Grumps on YouTube or, um, you know, a stand-up special on Netflix or something, you know? Or I would go rewatch old episodes of Futurama, now, now available on Hulu. <laughs> None of these people are paying me anything. And that's, that's the trouble is that whatever kind of laughs they're going for, they're really cheap and very poorly planned out. They're like really douchey. It's a really douchey kind of humor at the expense of everybody. And I think that's where it gets off is the idea that, oh, everybody's a terrible person, so let's watch them get murdered in really stupid, planned out traps by a guy who's dying of cancer. And oh boy, does uh, does this one really get... That's the other thing, too, is that it built up its weird mythos about it, this serial killer, John Kramer, as this... As the Rube Goldberg of murder. He's a... He's a convoluted serial killer who puts people into traps and the police are still uh, you know still on about him and he's like this cult figure now in the universe and i can't take it seriously it's so stupid i, I that the idea that people i mean not the idea that people would be obsessed with a serial killer people have, you know forensic files and things like you know there's an entire there are entire channels that air programming dedicated to people fascinated by murder and investigate and you know and police investigations and forensic science even though it's not really accurate to what actually happens <laughs> oh boy fun th yeah fun things you know that ruin everything thank you adam's ruin by the way thank you adam ruins everything for proving just how how poorly represented for actual forensic sciences in the media <laughs> oh boy anyway um back to this movie which yeah, I get I get uh, diverted in, and I digress a lot because there's nothing to talk about. It's another entry in the Saw series. Were you into the old series? Here's another one. You know, it's like being handed a really poorly crafted meatloaf, and if you're really into dousing that meatloaf in ketchup and saying this is the best thing ever, good for you. I I'm not really into meatloaf. The singer, I'm kind of into. I mean. He's, you know, that the stuff he did with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Glenn Steinman, I believe. Uh, the one, you know, the Bad Out of Hell, that whole album. Those, that, those short couple of years where he and Steinman worked together were dynamite. Uh, once again, I'm digressing because what do I talk about? What do I even talk about with this series? It's, it's, it's not, it's barely even trying anymore. Now they've got lasers. They've literally introduced. James Bond-style lasers into this universe. This is how stupid we've got. This is the level of stupid that we have reached in this series. We've got lasers. <laughs> My traps have lasers in them. Pew, 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 pew. Oh, it's, it's so stupid. Not to mention the fact that the way this movie is set up, by the, by the time it gets to the twist ending and reveals what's really been going on and what we've been watching, it is baffling that they want to try and pull that off especially given everything that they set up and the fact that you know the actor playing john kramer has aged since you last filmed it so i mean once again guys you can't try to pull this stuff off if it clearly shows that you're not doing it well so yeah i won't give too much away enough suffice to say that they try to pull some time stuff off and the timeline is not what you know not what it appears to be and it's it's really stupid it is genuinely stupid and i don't get the the appeal of this series never have 
Next to, I think the only one that I like less than Saw is Insidious, just because Insidious is even dumber than 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 this entire franchise has become. I would much rather watch Jigsaw again against against any of the any of the entries in the Insidious movies because once again, never liked them. Never for once that I liked Insidious. I never got the appeal of that series. Uh, anyway, that, that about does it. There's not really much else to say. I'll get into more about Jigsaw and how stupid and completely, uh, uh, risable, I guess, or, uh, yeah, something, how how easily he is to be laughed at because, uh, he is a terrible concept and we'll get into more of that in the discussion. So let's keep moving. It's falling apart, Maggie. Suburbicon. Where are you going? Oh, uh, you know, out for a ride. I don't know if I've given away the 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 subplot for this movie, but it's a it's a major it's a ma- it features majorly in the plot, but it's not the main plot. Uh, that being racism. Racism in 50s, 1950s America. And I bring that up now because, much like in the movie, it's opening scene. We're we're talking about racism. We're talking about racism scene one in this movie. So, I mean, once you go in to see it, you're talking about racism. And... They've, I've only, I haven't seen too much people, too much about people talking, uh, the race subplot in this movie. I've seen it, I saw it, I was spoiled about it in a, I think a Hollywood Reporter article where they interviewed Clooney about it. And, yeah, and once again, it's, it's not in any of the advertising. But it's, it's, it features prominently from scene one we're dealing with overt racism and... It, it is not subtle in the slightest. but uh, And I think that kind of leads to this movie's detriment. Uh, the basic, I think I've covered the basic premise. Uh, the idea being that Matt Damon is a father in this suburban community. And while a black family has moved in to the neighborhood and everybody's focused on that, Matt Damon has some hinky stuff going on uh, with his family and with, you know, ties to some mop maybe some mafia organization they never quite reveal everything about what's going on but basically matt damien's in some deep crap and all all the all of his plans completely unravel before him and his son is caught in the middle of it and i'll i'll say this now matt damien is not our hero he is not the hero of the story. If anything, the boy is the more of the hero of the story. He's our real protagonist. That's the other thing I don't really talk about, the son. The son is the real protagonist, but all of the focus seems to be on Matt Damon. Probably because Matt Damon is top build and he is the one that will sell tickets, not this boy. And uh, I, I'll say this, like the bluntness 
and the just complete lack of subtlety on the part of the Coens, and uh, it was Clooney and I guess Clooney's writing partner that brought the four of them brought about brought this you know worked on this, and I'm not sure how much of them is the Coens and how much is Clooney and his partner, but. It's it's not it is so heavy handed that it almost works to its that it really works to its detriment. I mean, once again, nothing that they're showing on screen is you know goes against anything you've seen even recently with a uh, racial tension <laughs> in the country. But and I mean, like even the dialogue, I'm sure they pulled back from old '50s era interviews about uh, you know white people not wanting black people in their neighbor in their neighborhoods and pulling out those those same kind of chestnuts but this movie could have done with us with a softer hand not you know basically this is the hulk this is like the hulk's take on trying to tackle this subject we needed more of a batman something something that hits hard but is not you know we need they went in with a chainsaw we needed more of a we needed more of a hatchet you know, we didn't need, we need something that can hit as hard, but doesn't, it doesn't tear everything apart, you know? Uh, yeah, so, so, I mean, the, the story, it's the, the, the main story, the plot with Matt Damon and Julianne Moore and the kid, that, I mean, that's standard Cohen fare. I, I put it up there with, like, the Lady Killers. It's much more comedic. It's much more farcical. And they're definitely playing on dark humor, but... But they, they there's so much focus on that plot line that I feel like the whole idea of it taking place against a rate like the black characters don't e barely even feature in this movie. Like there are a couple scenes with the mom with the mom. The dad almost gets no dialogue, and then the kid they get has a couple of scenes with with uh, Matt Damon's son, and that's about it. I mean, there's even a, they show a scene where Matt Damon's son and the black kid are hiding in the black kid's cellar while a race, while, you know, while a race riot is, is happening outside the, about outside the black kid's house. Like the white, all, the entirety of Suburbicon is shouting and screaming for these black people to leave. And that's the most interesting scene in the entire movie is like the two of them are like, yeah, this stuff's going on. That's, life's crazy like that. And I mean, like, if there was more scenes like that, here's the thing. Matt Damon and that sort of stuff needed to be in the background. Just, like, this This should have focused particularly on the kids. This should have been the two, the white kid and the black kid going, seeing these two things happening. The black kid seeing the white people go crazy in his neighborhood and the and the white kid see his family implode because of his dad's you know dealings that would have been interesting that would have been an interesting juxtaposition that's what they were going for the idea that while the, while the entire neighborhood is focused on the black people actual terrible stuff is going on and nobody's doing anything about it i get what they were going for it's just not very well done. A lighter hand, a you know, a, a a surgical touch to this subject matter could have made for an amazing movie, but they decided to go heavy-handed, Hulkamania, running wild, and just bash everything, bash the themes over your head with it, and that doesn't work as well. Like I feel as much as I didn't like Detroit. Detroit handled this much better. 
that was a much better way of handling this subject matter than Suburbicon tried to. Suburbicon just, it just missed the entire point entirely. Missed the entire point entirely. It missed the point entirely. And what could have been an amazing, you know, movie tackling these sorts of things and juxtaposing these two these two plots against each other could have made for a, 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 a phenomenal... There's a great idea. It's just these guys weren't the ones to do it. Maybe somebody else... Maybe there will be a better team of filmmakers that tries to do this. Maybe set it against the 60s during the actual race riots. But what we've got here in this like fictional Leave it to Beaver style suburban neighborhood in the 50s, I guess, doesn't quite work. And... I don't know if it's the writing process. I know it's definitely partly the writing process because there needed to be more just, you know, there needed to be more juxtaposition between what's happening with the black family and what's happening with the kids' family. Like I said, this should have been two kids who who form a friendship and then we see the craziness going on around them as they're making friends with each other. There should have been more scenes with the two of them interacting and telling each other what's going and, you know, showing each other what's going on in, you know, in their neighborhood. Like the white kids, like here's, you know, here's some crazy stuff going on in my, in my family. And the black kids like, yeah, I've got a race riot going on outside of my house. Like the scene of the cellar. That was a great scene, but the rest of this movie just can't live up. Just does. I don't know what it is. I don't know where they screwed up, who's who, you know, who in, in the writing process fumbled it, but it, it it can't, you know, it's it's a it's it's a you know, it's a it's a loss, sadly. It's just you had something going for you and then you just flip flip something happened and you goofed. So Suburbicon is it's not a bad movie. It's not a terrible movie. Once again, the acting acting is great. Matt Damon is solid, especially as this less likable character. Once you find out more about him, Julianne Moore plays twins shortly for for a brief period. She's playing twin characters, and either way, Julianne Moore, I love her. She's amazing. Uh, the kid, uh, Matt Damon's son, I forget the actor's name, but he is phenomenal. I can't wait to see what he does next. But everybody else is more or less a caricature. Even the black kid that he befriends is. You see, he talks like a kid who has no idea how acting works. Da 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 da. Hey, you wanna? Hey, you wanna see my garden snake? It's like the kid has never seen a. It's like the kid is afraid of what to do on camera. So he's like, "Here, uh, this is me reading dialogue. Am I doing it right?" So I mean, maybe the kid had bad direction. Maybe the kids. This is like the kid's first time acting. But if you got the black kid from it, you could have gotten a probably a better performance. So, either way, like, it's not the best, but I, I, I like what you tried. And uh, on that subject of good effort, but uh, bad execution. You should go lock in somewhere high. I know this don't look like much of a life, but everyone I get up, I'm grateful. I'm alive because of you. I'm only human. I made mistakes. I'm only human. Thank you for looking after my son. I'm not a hero. We're brothers. We look after each other. I'm only human. After all, don't put the blame on me. I will say, this was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. The trailers played up so much of that, you know, the, the kind of stuff that uh, 
the more conservative American crowd, very, you know, it plays up the sort of patriotism of, of the, of the uh, uh, idolatry of being a soldier that I was worried that that was going to be the, what the movie was going to be about. And it was going to fail in trying to tackle a really sensitive and hard subject to tackle. And I will say it's not, it was going for what I was hoping it would go for with the idea of thank you for your service being a sort of loaded phrase. The idea being that these boys come back uh, from the war and they're treated like garbage by society in that the VA is underfunded and poorly managed in that these guys are suffering real problems that are, that are almost never addressed and that it's it's a it, you know it, it, these guys come back and they're mist and they're not as mist and I don't know if it's worse for the Vietnam vets but it's definitely not good and it does it shows no signs of getting any better sadly and the problem is that this is the writer of American Sniper in his directorial debut he is both writer and director and he is not a good director he like I posted about this in my letterboxd review but he is pretty much he's pretty much making an after school special about veterans in this case it's an it's a it's a 100 minute after school special for all intents and purposes because it's oh so poorly acted these aren't bad actors like Miles Teller isn't a bad actor and Haley Bennett is his wife she's not bad Amy Schumer's in this she's proven herself to be a competent actress but every you know, all of their dialogue is so heavy handed and over the top melodramatic that it feels like I'd be I'd, I'd watching one of those soap operas that they that they give to teens not quite I feel like Degrassi was better written but this is like a lesser like a Degrassi wannabe th- like East Los High has the kind of stuff that goes on in this series or you know it's not as it's not as overtly terrible as some of the soap operas some of the more daytime really poorly written and trashy soap operas are, but it is not very well-written dialogue. I mean, they're going... What the themes that they're going for are are very interesting. The idea of post-traumatic stress disorder, of thoughts of suicide, of loss of loved ones, of, you know, medical issues that pervade throughout the rest of your time as a, civili- as a civilian. Well, not... Yeah, as a... As an you know, as a, as as just an average citizen instead of a soldier, and the you know the idea of the VA and the rest of the and the rest of the military industrial complex not really caring about you once you come back, and once once like I said that if that if that was what they were going for, I would be happier, and that's what they were going for, but it's just not well done. Like I feel like a better writer could get more out of this because it's it is so heavy-handed with its like everything and everything this weekend came that came out that was heavy-handed and melodramatic and over the top and i don't i don't know why subtlety isn't a big especially from the coens have been all about subtlety before george clooney knows how to do subtlety it's just for some reason they decided not to and here once again a for effort I like what you're going for. You're tackling some heavy subject matter and more people need to be talking about it. It needs to be, it needs to be a daily topic of discussion until things are changed. But you're just, 
the guy cannot write dialogue to save his life. And especially he can't direct actors. Because Miles Teller isn't the best actor, but only the brave showed he's capable of being a good actor. Here... It's like he has no idea what he's... No, everybody has no idea what they're doing and they have weird deliveries all the time and I get the feeling that the actors were almost on their own. Despite the fact that this is a guy who write, who has written and acted for most of his career so far and yet he can't get actors to act as a director. Like, what happened on set where he couldn't get these actors who are very capable actors to give good performances? Like, is he, is, does he not know what he wants out of it? Was he going for an after-school special? Because I don't want an after-school special about this stuff. I don't want a heavy-handed melodrama about this sort of thing. I want a hard-hitting, like, gut-punching drama about this. But the guy, between his terrible dialogue and the fact that he can't direct actors, it's, it's, it, it kind of, it can, it's like throwing in, uh, a red a red shirt in you with your white laundry it just completely stains everything else in the project so i liked what you're going for once again suburbicon and thank you for your service a for effort you gotta work on execution though execution is the ultimate thing that matters your intentions are well and good but your but how you handle these things when you're trying to execute them is what's important and is what people are going to remember. I don't think people are going to go back and rewatch Thank You for Your Service, you know, where it, compare it to things like Casualties of War or any of the Vietnam War era movies. Any of the, anything about Vietnam, ha I mean, not everything, because there's a bunch of trashy movies about Vietnam that we, that have been forgotten by history, I'm sure, but most of the movies that tackled Vietnam knew what they were dealing with and knew that what they were doing was hard-hitting and they, that it needed to be talked about. Here, I wonder if, in order to get the Army's involvement, they had to take a softer touch in criticizing them. Like, I get the I almost get the feeling that if it wasn't, if they were, like, if the, if the Army was in any way involved, was any way involved with this production... Then they, I know specifically, especially with Michael Bay and his experiences with the military, that they do not like being shown in a negative light. So I wonder if that had anything to do with how poorly this came out, or if it's just the guy's incompetent as a director. That may be the case, because I honestly don't think any people are going to go see this thing. It doesn't ring up. So even in, even with like, here, let me pull up the movie and see how it's doing so far. So going by the numbers, which has become my go-to uh, website with this sort of stuff, um, the, the dash numbers.com, if anybody's interested, uh, the budget for this was $20 million, which solid, you know, low level budget, nothing too fancy. The domestic box office so far has been 3 million. I think I said that $20 million budget, but $3 million return on investment. People aren't interested in seeing this. That's the thing. I think American Sniper had more buzz behind it because Clint Eastwood's directing. You've got Bradley Cooper, who was very, you know, off off the um, off of Limitless, I think, at the time, and even the, the Hangover movies. People people like talking about Bradley Cooper. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about him. I wonder what happened to him. But uh, so I mean, that had a lot of things going into it. 
I don't I don't think I've heard anybody really talk about thank you for your service. And I mean, number one, the guy writing and even though it's the writer of American Sniper, that doesn't guarantee people to come in and see your movie. Like even I didn't know it was him directing it until seeing the movie that I realized that it was him directing it. And even then, the highest, you know, the the biggest name you've got in it is Miles Teller, who. Miles Teller doesn't exactly fill seats. I mean, even with the buzz he got from Whiplash, like, people aren't going to see Miles Teller. Like, I don't, only The Brave didn't bring any people in. This didn't bring any people in. Fantastic Four definitely didn't bring people in. I don't think the dude can bring butts into seats. I don't think he's, I think at this point he's kind of shown himself to be not box office poison, but he's aligned himself with projects that aren't going to bring people in to see him. Like, they're not going to go out of their way to see him in a movie, is what I'm saying. and Because, I mean, only The Brave had more, Jeff Bridges and Josh Brolin going for it more than him. But he people aren't going out of their way to see a Miles Teller movie. Whereas, if he, whereas Bradley Cooper, he would bring people in to see him. He had built up some buzz about his name that people even now, you know, people around the country would be like, oh, Bradley Cooper's in a new movie, I need to check that out. So thank you for your service. Once again, solid effort. I get what you were going for. You needed better people behind the scenes to make this better. But uh, that about does it. So after this break, I'll get into the discussion and why it's not the Halloween spooktacular. Yo. You out there. You know what horror is? You like horror films. You like gore. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films. Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. Oh! On the gun, we can't have it. Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth? This really must be the best time of the year for Don over at uh, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods and once more with feeling because it's Halloween, everything is all spoopy and scary. And I was had a whole spooktacular plan, just like last year, and I goofed. I messed it up. I forgot I didn't plan properly and I didn't get everything in order because I was I was gonna be doing, you know, the Halloween, both the original and its remake. I was gonna be doing Nightmare on Chris Nightmare Before Christmas because I was gonna tie that into the Christmas special that I'll have to wait till next year now because I wanna do it that way. I wanna do a Halloween leading into Christmas, so I'll have to re, re uh, finagle my Christmas episode. And it's just, yeah, I goofed up. And you know what it is? I was playing South Park the Fractured But Whole, and it's about on par with the first game. I reached a point where I, the game actually bugged out on me towards the end, and I had and it froze, and I had to turn it off. So once again, it's Ubisoft. Ubisoft is not very good at this 
sort of thing. They will release a terribly buggy game and then patch it out later. So honestly, I'm probably better off waiting until... I'll, I'll probably replay it once some more patches come out. And I definitely want to replay it uh, on the Steam, on Steam and see if that version's any better once everything has come out. Give it like a year or so. Because, I mean, by this point, uh, the original South Park game, The Stick of Truth, is probably much better. Although those bugs may still be in there, for all I know. But, yeah, I was busy playing that for most of the weekend. And I completely goofed on seeing everything I wanted to see. Like, even I was even going to watch The Ring and tie it into this coming episode of Maji Day, which is about Ringu. Uh, so I, all, I just goofed up all around. Uh, so, that being said... Uh, we're going to make this week's discussion about the Jigsaw Killer and uh, serial killers, uh, fictional serial killers, slashers, actual, sla- you know, the Freddy Kruegers, the Jason Voorhees, the Michael Myers, all, you know, that whole oeuvre of horror. Because I don't think I've covered that one yet because we haven't really had one in a long while. And I think it's they. It's worth discussing, especially with Jigsaw coming out this weekend. Which, by the way, I wonder how that's doing. Let's see how that one's doing. While um, no one's going to see. I'm guessing there's at least some people out there seeing Jigsaw. Uh, so far, twenty five million dollars worldwide on a budget of not listed. But knowing the Jigsaw, knowing the Saw series, it's probably about that much. So they got their budget back within the first weekend. I'm assuming. It's, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's my thing. I, the idea, my thing is, and I'm sure people have discussed this before, but I think Hollywood and horror fans and horror creators killed the Slasher series. I think they've took what was an interesting concept in the 80s, the idea of there being a relentless killer in the vein of a Michael Myers. You know, what Michael My- what Carpenter started with Michael Myers and what spawned countless imitators. All kinds of people eventually became a punchline and they fe- and they effectively killed themselves as a genre of horror. And that's why they turned to comedy. I swear, I think there are people much more adept at this than I am, but I feel, I feel like I haven't talked about it yet and it's really the only thing i have going for me either that or i release a 30 minute episode of no discussion this week so i goofed <laughs> um at any rate the uh the, yeah, yeah i mean i grew up in the 90s i was an 80 i was born in 88 and i grew up in the 90s post scream like scream would have come out as i was starting to as i was about four or five Although 94, I think it's Scream was 94. So that would have been six. So I would have been starting elementary. I would have been like first grade when Scream came out. And Scream effectively turned the slasher genre into a comedy. Because it became meta. It became self-aware. And I think Wes Craven, while he built up this slasher genre, he eventually, being that he's not exactly a horror fan, became the one to kill it. And I know he is well-beloved within the genre, and I know that there's you know, a lot of fans of his that uh, hold him in high regard, but even he admitted that he was not, he stumbled into being a whore. He didn't like, he didn't like seeing himself as the master of horror. And 
I think that's why he was more openly willing to kill it via scream. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's cover the let's cover the basic timeline. 1978, John Carpenter really 1978 or 79. It was definitely the 70s. I want to say 78. Let me don't want to get this wrong because I mean it's it's an iconic movie, so let's actually get it right for a change. Uh, so Halloween, 1978. I was right. So yeah, John Carpenter, 1978, releases Halloween. And he intended it to be a sort of anthology film where he started with a serial killer who dresses in a Halloween mask. And then he was hoping to move on to other Halloween-related stories. Unfortunately, he was undone by making the second movie about, um, you know, about, uh, about Michael Myers as well. So people were expecting it to be the Michael Myers series. And... After that, you've got uh, Friday the 13th in 1980, I believe. I want to get that one right, too. There's a whole... I mean, these are very iconic movies. I should be able... I should have done actual... <laughs> you know, this is, once again, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm I'm freeballing this. Uh, Friday the 13th, 1980. I should trust myself more. Uh, 1980, the, next, the first copycat shows up in the form of Friday the 13th. And then... With uh, Wes Craven stepping into it with Nightmare on Elm Street, you've got in 1984. You've kind of got the the, the trilogy of serial killers. Um, although um, the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of started it off. I mean, John Carpenter solidified slashers as a genre with with Halloween. It, although it was although the real originate. I mean, the originators go far as far back as you know Hitchcock's Psycho. But but you've got Leatherface in 1974, followed it up with Halloween, which kind of said, here's the slasher genre. Here's, the, here's how you do it. And that's how you've got, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night. And, uh, you know, even now with Happy Death Day, they all follow the Halloween formula of, slasher, of, of, the, of what a slasher should be. And... So you've and as the more and more of these movies come out, and you've got more copycats, and you've got more sequels to those original movies, eventually you reach a stale, you know, that eventually you reach a, a a stalling point where you're you're kind of uh, idling as far as you know, narratively speaking, you're not going anywhere, and at that point is, and I think at that point would have been the late '80s going into the '90s, because in the '90s you saw. Wes Craven set the new standard with start with the with Freddy's new without uh, nightmare on uh something new night Wes Craven's new nightmare which was the predecessor to 1994's Scream. I want to say that's if I get this right again I'm gonna stop looking it up. 96. Aha. So I was wrong. This is why I looked things up. At any rate, uh, yeah, so 96, so Wes Craven's New Nightmare was earlier than that. I think that was 93, 90, maybe 94, 94, there we go. I'm getting these kind of right. I'm, I'm, I'm almost on the point, but yeah, Wes Craven's New Nightmare came out in 94. That was the predecessor to 96's Scream, and what Wes Craven did 
to kill the French, to kill this genre, was he turned it from genuine horror into meta meta comedy. He lampshaded it. He by making both New Nightmare and Scream back to back, Wes Craven turned the whole, turned the slasher genre into a into uh, a meta commentary on itself. He took the 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 stale the stale storytelling that they had been uh, stuck in that sort of druthers the doldrums, as it were, of the late 80s, led Wes Craven to want to try something new, and unfortunately what he tried was meta-comedy. By lampshading this entire genre, he he basically said this was not meant to be taken seriously, and it became horrifying, it went from horrifying to being ludicrous, to eventually reaching the point where, uh, I don't know, I don't think that Snoop Dogg showed up in some of these, I think, and I know um, one of them, show, uh, I think it was Ja Rule, who showed up in uh, H2O. Who showed up in H2O? Who was the rapper in H2O? I swear, if this was Ja Rule. LL Cool J, damn it. Ja Rule was much later, I think. Uh, yeah, a 98... Um, was Ja Rule in a slasher though? Now I'm all goofed up in my head. But basically, like hip hop artists started because so many. Uh, because I mean, once again, there's a reason Leprechaun went to the hood because there was a lot of enthusiasm from black communities about these slasher movies, and eventually became, you know, be- eventually filmmakers incorporated them into the into the storyline. And unfortunately, that meant making the slasher movies less scary and more comedic. So while you could, I think, um, I don't know how, I've never seen, Snoop Dogg did do one, Tales from the Hood. And I think that one is more a serious take on horror movie in a ghetto setting. But what we've, but slasher movies really really made that shift in the 90s, especially following the success of Scream, to meta-commentary, being, being self-aware. And it, it ultimately kind of derailed the, the genre. And since then, you've gotten certain things. Like, you've gotten, um, like, the induction of, the introduction of, uh, J-Horror, The Ring, the, the aforementioned Ring movie, Ringu, uh, kind of brought back this idea of there being a iconic killer that you could take seriously. But even those series became too self-aware and became too, like, perfect exa- another perfect example, Blair Witch. The Blair Witch Project was this out of nowhere mockumentary documentary style horror movie that supposedly depicted these kids finding a urban legend urban legend of a of a killer in the woods and eventually going crazy and dying and that was you know once again it started crazy new idea this idea of a horror movie shown with through found footage and unfortunately those all succumbed to the same tropes of the genre and became comedic, especially took on more comedic bents, 
took on more dark humor. And by bringing on these comedic elements, they've essentially said to audiences, don't take us seriously. We're just having fun. And I can't be scared if you're telling me I can't, I shouldn't be scared because this is funny. Like, even in the new Jigsaw, like in the trailers, like, nope, nothing creepy about that. Yeah, there isn't. That's the, that's the problem. By making your series into a comedy, you've ceased to be scary. Like, not, that isn't to say that, you know, there aren't, you can't have comedic elements in your movie. But when your movie is more about being funny and being over-the-top silly, you, you, we can't take you seriously enough to be scared of you. That's the problem. The thing with the original Halloween, the original Texas Chainsaw, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, all of those old 80s, 70s and 80s movies, going even back to like The Exorcist and Poltergeist. Poltergeist a little less so because it is a little sillier. It's more, it does, it, it was starting to show some comedic bent to it. That was 1988. But all of those series is, took itself, took themselves serious enough so that you knew to be scared. You knew you, you, you were coming in fresh on this. And you knew, like even the first Saw movie is probably considered the best cinematically. Because you're coming in fresh on this new idea, on this new serial killer. This new slasher in the form of Jigsaw. And you're, this is the, your first time seeing it. And by, by a couple entries in... It's already starting to take itself less seriously and becoming more goofy. And it becomes, it's this weird dichotomy of horror fans where while some of them genuinely want to be scared, a lot of horror fans are more into the horror elements, but would much rather watch a comedy rather than something genuinely scary. And that's not to, you know, denounce any kind of horror fans. I mean, you like what you like, but... I think the problem is by being more susceptible to the idea of turning what was scary into a comedy, you've lost that scary element and you can't, and anytime these entries start, try to try to continue onward, the only way they see to move forward is to appease the more, the more uh, laughable aspects of the genre and become comedies rather than horror movies. That's, that's why I can't get into Saw anymore, because it's over-the-top stupid. Like, the first time around, you may have had something going for you, but it's so ludicrous now that it's not worth taking seriously. And even and, if at, and at that point, why should I watch you at all? Not that every movie needs to be taken seriously, but at some point, you need to, you know, accept the limits of your own universe. You need to set limits for yourself. Otherwise, why even bother? You know, it's a... Um, I think we talked about this in one of my uh, RP. I've been, um, I think, in an Adventure Zone uh, uh, fan group where we talk about RPG stuff. And I think in one of those is where we're talking about the idea of you need limitations on your universe or else anything goes. And once anything goes, maybe this was an episode of Maji Day. I think this may have been an episode of Maji Day where we're talking about uh, maybe the Seven Deadly Sins, the anime. Uh but basically, uh, you need to set limit once again. You need to set limits for your universe. You need to adhere to those limits, and you need to stick to them, or else nobody will take you seriously. Like 
there's a I think there's a reason not a lot of people ha- most people have kind of fallen off the Dragon Ball Z bandwagon. While it was huge in the 90s and maintained a good fan base. Even now the Dragon Ball fan base is still going strong, but I think most people kind of fell off when it reached a point where it became laughable. Like it took like every it would completely undo its own rules to the point where it's completely making up all kinds of new stuff. So by re by moving the bar every single time and saying, no, the line, you know, it's, it's, I mean, <laughs> imagine, um, that scene from, I think it's Star Trek, um, Insur- is it Insurrection or, uh, what's the, what's the movie with the board? The one where, uh, Patrick Stewart is like, the line must be drawn here this far, no father. And, um, like imagine that scene if, uh, you know, you, if he said that, and then as soon as something changed, like, no, the line, okay, then, well, the line must be drawn here, this far, no father. And then he had to do it again. Okay, okay, I can see that. Rather than the line, and then he moves the line, and like, okay, now the line must be drawn here, this far, no father. And then he concedes again. Okay, here we go. Line must be drawn here, this far, no father. Okay? No father. Okay. We're pulling it back. Like, that's what the, that's the problem with a lot of this stuff is they've pulled back the bar so much that it's it's not even worth... that the, 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 Since there are no limitations to what your series can do, then anything can happen. It's magic. We don't have to explain anything. So who cares? Anything can happen. And then nobody... Was, there's, there's no vested interest because... Anything can happen, uh, you know. Once you know that these things are going, these things are going to happen because you've either set a standard or you've completely moved the bar every single time, and so now there are you might as well not even have a bar. Then you need. The, the, there's no reason for anybody to stay invested in your characters or in your universe. Even that's why I can't take this. You know, once again. I mentioned this in my Letterboxd review, the idea being that the the Saw universe has become so convoluted that it's a Jenga tower, and the more they try to add to it, I'm expecting the whole thing to just collapse in on itself, and even the most diehard of Jigsaw and Saw, fran- uh, Saw fans to just give up and say, I can't anymore with this. I think leaving it off where it was was a good stopping point, but now they want to try and bring it back and I don't think fans are gonna go see it. I don't think fans are into it anymore because, once again, you keep changing everything around to fit your current needs that there are no set parameters of your universe. I think that's another thing that Marvel kind of got right. Like, I think there's that's not perfect, but they do... They did a decent job of planning far enough ahead to set parameters for how their universe was going to work. And I, the, the problem with so many horror movies is once something is successful, then it's just like, well, shoot, just whatever works now. What What's going on now? So let's do that. So, I mean, they ride, they more often to ride trends than anything else. And there's no real, like, you, there's not a whole lot of planning into so many of the horror franchises. So it always seems like a last minute thought. Like, oh, and then also this happened. And that's why it never works out well for them. Eventually, people do get sick of it because it feels like somebody who's improving a story and they're not good at improv. I think that's about a good a good discussion's worth. 
So yeah, uh, I goofed up. I I'm gonna try and do better next year. Uh, there shouldn't be any kind of games out that that'll take away my time from doing my actual thing here. But uh, also check out Super Mario Odyssey. It's fun. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, wait for South Park to patch before getting the full game because even in the the PS, even with what they download, what I downloaded onto the disc, onto the hard drive, in order to play the disc in my PS4, it's buggy and as all hell. It, it has all kinds of bugs going through it. This thing need even with as long as it took, was still getting all kinds of bugs that messed everything up. And I wonder if it's maybe the engine that's the problem. But this isn't a game podcast. This is about movies. So uh, let's move on to trailer talk. Before we head out, uh, next week is going to be a big one. First up, the the long-awaited, much-anticipated Thor Ragnarok. Where everybody's all a Twitter and a, and a flutter about this new Thor movie. And I, I'm withholding my expectations because I don't want to get too hyped and come out hating it. So... I'm gonna hold my you know hold my expectations, but I am still excited. So let's get into it. Wow, this is really 80s. So much has happened since I last saw you. I lost my hammer like yesterday, so that's. I love that. I think that's gonna be the best scene in the movie. That that Coliseum scene. Sadly, this is the closest we're going to get to a Planet, Planet Hulk movie. I'll get into that after the trailer, though. Where are we? You have no idea. Also, I'm interested to see how uh, Hulk ended up on this planet. Oh, I've missed this. Oh, Kate Blanchett, I love you. And you and I had a fight recently. Did I win? Oh, Mark, I love you. No, I won easily. Doesn't sound right. Oh, that's true. <laughs> uh. Asgard is dead. And it'll be reborn in my image. I thought you'd be glad to see me. I need to stop her here and now. To prevent Ragnarok, the end of everything. So I'm putting together a team. Like the old days. Surprise! <laughs> this will be such fun. Oh, Tom Hiddleston, I love you. Hello. Hulk fighting a giant wolf. They, uh, Hulk fights um, like a, a, a demon from hell, essentially. Uh, uh, I forget what this character's name is, but he's supposed to be played by Clancy Brown. Like, oh, is that my time for that? I need to. I need to. I need to just cool, cool my, cool my heels. Just chill. 
it'll come you know it'll come when it comes don't just don't get too overhyped and just let it ride accept it for what it is that's it but i will say what sucks is marvel is still split up because here's the thing universal owns the rights to the hulk like anything else hulk related that's why we haven't had any hulk solo movies since 2008 because universal holds the rights to them so while everybody's worried about fox and Fantastic Four and X-Men and Sony with Spider-Man. Hulk is tied up with Universal along with Namor, I believe. I think Namor is over at Universal. Somebody broke it down in an infographic. Uh, it's just... Somebody needs to consolidate it and either set up like a trust where like, okay, if we work together and they're all in the same universe, we all make money. Something like that. Something where we make a deal where everybody's within the same universe and everybody makes all of the money. Because we deserve it, damn it! <sighs> anyway, Thor Ragnarok looks great. looks great. The only thing I'm worried about is if this new 80s aesthetic that they've picked up with the success of Guardians of the Galaxy won't ultimately ruin the, fr won't ultimately ruin the whole cinematic universe. Like, will this be the... It will... Doubling down on 80s nostalgia ruin this... Ruin the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, I do think it's good that they're trying new things. And the idea of making Thor a more of a retro pastiche like Guardians of the Galaxy may be what will work for him instead of being taken more seriously like Captain America. But... And that's the other thing, too. I do think that the Marvel movies need to be... That's the thing with the comics... Not to go too much on a on a on a on a on a on a whim, but the thing with the comics was each comic is different from the last. Like you can read if you want more comedy, you read for things like Spider Man, Deadpool, Gwenpool. Yeah, that's a th that's a whole other thing. That's a weird thing. They've reintroduced Gwen Stacy in various iterations now in the Marvel universe. It's weird. Uh, but Gwen, you know, Spider Gwen, Gwenpool. Uh, you know, all, you know, there's all kinds of comedic elements, but if you want more serious stories, there's some things with Captain America that you can read, or Iron Man, uh, or the Avengers, you know, and if you want more action-packed things, you'll read, you know, things like that, but, right, you know, the movies have different feels because of the stories that they're trying to tell, and I think the problem is that they've kept the same, uh, mentality and the same vision over the universe which is great for adhering to a coherent universe but the stories need to be allowed to fluctuate in terms of how serious they're taken and how silly and how more silly and how more action-packed and what all what the what you're going for with your story that's why captain america has worked so well since the first avenger because the first one was a send-up of the 40s and then after that, it became more serious, where they're tackling the things of the Civil War friend, of the Civil War event, as well as the Winter Soldier storyline, which is very, very you know heavy on the on the ideas of how much you know what uh, the involvement of the government and what exactly they're doing, and if Captain America can serve that, you know, essentially be the mouthpiece for the American government if he can't agree with it. Like that's why he became nomad in the comics, which was a weird time. Where after the Nixon and the Watergate scandal, uh, he became he stopped being Captain America and became Nomad because he couldn't see himself representing America anymore because it wasn't the America he he saw and he saw in himself when he when he wore the suit. Um. So yeah, uh, Marvel. I hope they know what they're doing 
they say they've planned everything out and I try and they've shown to be pretty good for the most part, but there are certain points where it'd be good to have, you know, allow yourself the freedom to fluctuate between whether one, whether you want to be taken seriously, whether you want to go for silly, what, and even within the movies themselves, don't be limited to one style. I think, I hope that Thor Ragnarok isn't going to just be a co copycat of Guardians of the Galaxy is what I'm saying. Uh, and after any, at any rate, let's move on to A Bad Mom's Christmas. We're getting a sequel to uh, Bad Moms, and it's a Christmas special in the first weekend of November. At least I, maybe they'll hold it off until after Thanksgiving, but we'll see. So here's the trailer. H Brothers, a Chinese, the Chinese produced Bad Moms. The shopping, the cooking, the decorating. Sweetie, we don't drink the tree water. Because we're people, right? Oh, God, Nick. There's almost no time to actually enjoy it. And only one thing. Oh, no. What is it? Could make it even more stressful. My mother's coming for Christmas. Everything's gonna be fine. She's the most critical human being on the planet. I can't fix that. I'm not Beyonce. You Mom? Hi, Mom. Hey, Nick. I'm here to see my daughter on Easter. Christmas. Christmas. I cannot wait. Oh my god! Waking minute with you. Oh no. Where's your tree? I guess I should been a little busy. Well, clearly not at the gym. Well, I'm a 34-year-old woman and she's still telling me how to live my life. My mom got her hair cut and colored exactly like mine. Is that normal? We don't like to use the word normal. You are gonna be my best friend forever. Yeah. <laughs> I want to throw a Christmas party. Where? In my house? Yes. And 184 people are coming. How much does this cost? Can you put a price tag on Wonder? I actually just wanted to enjoy Christmas this year. You're a mom. Moms don't enjoy. They give joy. She's going to keep treating you like this until you fight her. Physically? I don't want you to be my mom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Say Christmas back. Gifts, no more perfect decorations, no more perfect anything. Let's put the ass back in Christmas. That didn't come out exactly as I planned it, but you guys get what I mean. Hey, we know what you're like. I still love her. Feel the joy. Okay. Okay, I'll give it this. It looks about on par with the first one. I like the first one. Uh, I think the first one was, you know, like a fun, you know, sort of mom-centered um, send-up of like moms letting loose and 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 like you know screwing the rules and just having yeah enjoying themselves for a change so the idea of doing that with christmas kind of makes sense i don't know if i would have gone i would have made i probably would have gone the harold and kumar route and made the third movie about christmas maybe make the second movie a follow-up maybe about something else along those lines i sadly don't see christina applegate returning but we've got 
Christine Baranski, who, uh, who, um, uh, where, where do I, where would people know her from? She's, uh, she was, uh, Martha May who in, uh, who Martha May who Vier in the, in, uh, the Grinch live action movie. She's also the, uh, Cinderella stepmom in Into the Woods, but she, you know, she's on The Good Wife. She was in, uh, a Sybil, uh, she was on the show called Sybil back in the nineties, but yeah, you, you kind of, she's kind of, Oh, that's the other thing. She was Tanya and Mamma Mia. So, I mean, she's been, you would recognize her if you see her, she, you know, she, she has that face where it's, it's very, you know, like it's very bird-like, you know, it's a, Christine Baranski kind of looks like what Taylor Swift would at uh, her age. And so she's, she's older, but she's, Smart as a whip, funny as hell. I, she's got some great lines in this. She plays Mila Kunis' mom. Uh, Susan Sarandon plays Catherine Hahn's character's mom. And then Cheryl Hines, who is another uh, character actress. Uh, what would you recognize? What would people recognize her from? Uh, she's on Curb, Your Enthusiasm. Your enthusi- Your Enthusiasm. She was, uh, R- she was in RV, I think, as... Um, as not not a uh, Robin Williams wife, but as somebody else, she's on Son of Zorn apparently, and um, she's been in a bunch of places. She's apparently on Suburg- Suburbator- Suburgatory as well. Uh, oh, that's the other thing. Wanda Sykes is in this um, as the therapist. It looks like. Oh God, Cheryl Hines was the live action Wanda in uh, in the live action Fairly Odd Parents movie. Woof. Or maybe she was the voice of Wanda, which kind of sucks. Wait, is she the actual voice of, of, uh, it would say, no, it would say, because that's still going on. That show is still on the air. And it came out when I was like 10. Uh, so yeah, Cheryl Hines is another one of those character actresses that you've heard. You've heard her. You've seen her. You would recognize her. And, uh, she plays, uh, Kristen Bell's mom. And I, I, I gotta say, as soon as I saw Susan Sarandon, I'm like, I'm in. I love it. I'm I'm sold. Susan Sarandis is in this. Done. Take my ticket now. I want you know. Take it. Take my money. Uh, I'm 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 in. But uh, Cheryl Hines and Christine Baranski look like they're gonna you know look like they're they're you know look play their parts very well. Christine Baranski being the more stern, um, very overbearing mother as well. While uh, well, they're all kind of overbearing, but I'm guessing Susan Sarandon is gonna be an exaggerated version of Catherine Hahn's character, while uh, Cheryl Hines is even more. Um, obsessive about Kristen Bell, like the way that Kristen Bell was kind of obsessive. You know, they're they're exaggerated versions of the main characters. Except whereas Mila Kunis is more laid back and down to earth, her mom is very overbearing and judgmental. And I think it's I think kind of the storyline is going to be uh, Christine Baranski kind of sh- being shown that she does she can be more like her daughter and just kind of chill. For, for, for a change. It's the reason why, you know, Mila Kun is basically, sh- you know, shining a light on, we don't need to make it so perfect. We can be, we can be more imperfect and will have fun with ourselves for a change. The same way she did in the last movie. Um, so yeah, B- Bad Mom's Christmas. I, I'm, I'm interested. I, I, I don't know if, like I said, I think this, it was too soon for Christmas special, but I like what I see so far. It looks like fine. It looks like more of the same. So good for them. Uh, last up, LBJ. 
Yeah, we've got uh, with some of the Oscar, you know, the Oscar and awards bait uh, stuff coming up with Woody Harrelson as Lyndon Johnson. So let's take a look at that. I actually saw this trailer ahead of Jigsaw. So, I mean, I've technically already seen this. Convention fever grips Los Angeles. The only major threat to Kennedy's hopes is Senate Majority Leader Lyndon Johnson. Ooh, Castle Rock. Kennedy right now. Oh, that's right. Uh, he's director. Crisis places infest. <laughs> In a surprising upset, Senator John Kennedy has won the West. What? Wow. Hi, Jack. You mind if I ask you a question, Lyndon? Wow, Woody Harrelson, like, looks like LBJ. We need Southerners. Just the power in the vice presidency. Power is where power goes. He looks like Lyndon and he sounds like Lyndon. Oh my God, that's... Oh my God, please let him do the slacks. Quote. I need to show a strong record on civil rights from the start. Maybe they might listen to a Southerner who's on our side. What makes you think he's on our side? Well, those Kennedys must really hate you. <laughs> those Harvard boys not going to tell us how to run the state of Georgia. You're going to lose the support of the people who've always had your back. This train is leaving the station. You can hop on it with me and try to slow the damn thing down. If I'm going to make a run in 68, I'm going to need people to like me. Shut the door. That's the other thing. Lyndon would do that all of the time. Because he's in the he was on the toilet. That that was LBJ. Embarrassment around the world. You submit this bill now. It will never become law. What are we waiting for? A new leader has emerged. America has a southern president. You don't waste any time, do you, Lyndon? Excuse me. Wow, I think that's Bobby Kennedy. Uh, being very adamant against him. Now the country needs a Who's Lady Bird? Who's playing Lady Bird? There will be no compromise. This is about making President Kennedy's vision a reality. Reaching Bill Pullman, Jeffrey Donovan, and that's Jennifer Jason Lee as Lady Bird. This will define your presidency. I can only hope. Filmed by Rob Reiner. That's why it's Castle Rock Entertainment, because that's his, uh, Rob Reiner named his thing after uh, the Stephen King location because of uh, Stand By Me. But yeah, it's, I, I, I saw this trailer and I'm like, holy cow, this is solid. You got uh, Woody Harrelson, who they really did the makeup well on him to make him almost picture per like a little bit prettier, a little bit more handsome because I think LBJ was a little bit older and harder lived than uh, Woody Harrelson. But you got Bill Pullman as someone as a Ralph Yarbrough, who I don't recognize. Um, see Thomas Howell is in this Richard Jenkins. Uh, and then uh, some people I don't recognize were the uh, Kennedys. Jeffrey Donovan was John Kennedy. And you've got Michael Stahl David as Bobby Kennedy. Uh, Donovan is on Burn Notice. Oh, he's Michael Weston. Okay, the only crap. This is Michael Weston, the guy from Burn Notice? As John F. Kennedy? Holy cow. Good get for him. Cause apparently he's also on the Fargo series. So yeah, good for this guy. That's a great get to play Ke Bobby to play Johnny Kennedy, Jackie Ke Jack Kennedy, 
And then uh, Michael Stahl David was on was in Cloverfield, uh, In Your Eyes, The Congress, which was the Robin Wright Penn. Well, no, Robin Wright. She hasn't been married to Sean Penn in years. Uh, Robin Wright movie where she is an actress who sells her likeness to a compute to be computerized, and apparently is also in that Promise movie that I didn't see. So he's also in Narcos as a uh, Feistel, Chris Feistel. So uh, this is him being Bobby Kennedy, and he he they definitely it definitely kind of it 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 I make I hopefully it'll play better on the actual screen uh, on the actual screen in the movie. But I, it, you, I work. That's the problem with the Kennedys is that a couple times, if you're trying to play a Kennedy, you'll often dip into Mayor Quimby from The Simpsons because Mayor Quimby is the is the iconic John F. Kennedy, you know, caricature. He, this is what people imagine the Kennedys to sound like, and you have a very, you know, you, there's a very very good possibility of you. You know, of you dipping into Quimby instead of playing a Kennedy, and uh, uh, yeah. So, but at the same time, uh, who's dir- uh, Rob Reiner's directing? Who's uh, writing? Uh, Joey Hartstone is writing, and he was known for The Good Fight, which I don't recognize. Uh, Project. He was a producer on Project Runway, and he wrote Shock and Awe, which I don't recognize. So this is his first major um, group of journalists covering Bush's invasion of Iraq. Um, That's also directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, Huh. So I guess that's coming out next year? Because I haven't heard anything about it, but it's got Jessica Biel and Mila Jovovich and Woody Harrelson as well. So LBJ is coming out before then. Apparently LBJ came out last. It's listing LBJ as 2016, but it but it's only getting a release now. What is Rob, what is Rob Reiner getting a get, releasing his movies a year later, year after the fact? Uh, I guess as they're premiering it, they're called. That's the pro, That's the other problem. Movies will will sometimes use their uh, their um if they premiere at a film festival, they'll use that as their release date instead of a wide release date. So like they're saying LBJ was came out in 2016, except it's not getting shown wide until 2017. Yeah, it's the problem of having so many. Like that's the thing. Things could premiere in Hollywood and New York all the time and never see the light of day outside of those cities. And so the idea of it being of movies getting their release dates based on those two cities alone, when those are the places that make the movies, feels disingenuous. Uh, and. Uh, and it would make more sense if they would stick to that. But nobody sticks to one release date. Nobody says this movie came out in this year because they will, because then people will get confused as to why a 2016 movie is coming out in 2017. It's all bungled and garbage. Anyway, that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you are listening to this podcast, you are most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatsNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, as well as check out our other fine programming, go to G-U-M-B-I-E-C-A-T-Networks.com, all one word, and check out every you know all the st- other stuff we've got going on. I do a Dungeons & Dragons podcast where I DM... 
uh, fellow, you know, uh, based out of the 5th edition Faerun Sword Coast universe. And I also do Machide with Mike from Game Kiwi. I I haven't done a fan of the podcast in a while. I'll, I'm not going to worry about that. Uh, that's I, I, I'm a co-host on that. That's uh, Vanessa's baby. Uh, speaking of which, check out her podcast, Art I Swear. Check out um, Random Podcast Generator, which is like our podcast pilot program. Uh, check out Ultimate Showdown. Have, highly recommend those guys. They debate who would win in the fight. <laughs> the, yo, who would win in the fight? Yo, we've been having these discussions since the you know the inception of uh, having characters. Who would win in the fight? Pitch the pit these two people against each other. Have them duke it out. <laughs> uh, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. Once more with feeling. Uh, uh, what was? Uh, I, uh, we've got so much great programming on our thing I, on our site that we that I can't remember them all. But yeah, see what we've got. See if it interests you. Check us out, GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date outside of that, look us up on what on your podcast provider. We're 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 listed on uh, Google Play and iTunes for the most part. If, you know, so most most places that take from those two stores will have our feed. As long as you're seeing my orange mug chopping up popcorn staring at the movies with a little G with cat ears and a tail at the bottom, you should be getting the most up-to-date feed. And be sure to leave five-star ratings and reviews to let more people know that you like the show and that they should check it out. And I still need to find a way to get Google Play uh, reviews, see if, they, see if I can find those and put them on the show at some point instead of just the iTunes reviews. Um... Yeah, and then uh, if you want to share the podcast, do so through our social media. The social media home of Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. And that's where I make all the big announcements when I'm seeing new movies, when I, when I think of those new movies, uh, when I'm, you know, any, any kind of new episodes, any kind of major changes to the podcast, any kind of major announcements, that sort of thing. All of that can be found at facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. And if you want to get, you know, get more personal, I'm over on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod, and there you get the Facebook feed, plus I do trailer talk where I talk about the trailers I play before a new release, and I do munch alongs where I comment on a movie as I'm watching it, as well as talk with more people, or, you know, my fellow film fans and my fellow um, internet personality types, people like Nash over at Radio Dead Air, and uh, the, you know, the former, you know, a lot of the former Channel Awesome crew, and even the current Channel Awesome crew I follow. So, you know, if you want to keep up, you know, get more, get more, you know, I'm more active on Twitter than I am on Facebook. So if you want to keep, you know, catch me over there, I'm at Corn Junkie Pod. And if there's anything else you want to say about the podcast, anything you want me to, any kind of corrections you want me to give, any kind of feedback you want me to fix, any kind of whatever you want to say and you want people to hear it, send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want, I'll read it out on the podcast. And if not, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. That about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and have a spoopy Halloween, everybody. And hopefully next year I'll actually do my freaking job for a change. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork.
you've got Bradley Cooper, who was a very hot commodity at the time. That is my cat playing with his new cat toy on the cat tree that I built him. I hope you like that. He seems to like it. And I know it's... I know, um... That was a drink of apple cider. I'm including that at the end. Even though, um... Uh... That, uh... That the... Cut all this out.